good morning. I forgot to wire up this morning. Dwight is not with us this morning, but he will be back for the encounter service and for youth tonight. Uh, so that leaves me with you all this morning to do the announcements and so forth. Um, if you're visiting with us, we have a tear-off on our bulletin. If you would fill that out and place it in the offering plate, we'd be glad to, to uh, have a record of your attendance. If you have prayer concerns, we would appreciate that as well. I believe everybody came in the first service. We had over 100 in the first service, so uh, it looks like they, we had more guests there than in this service this morning. But you can fill that out and place it in the uh, offering plate, and we would appreciate that. And then the opportunities of the week are listed on the back. Deacons, we do have Deacons Meeting Night at 6.30, and you'll get your new uh, updated um, Deacons Manual. So I hope you'll come and get that. The meeting is at 6.30. And then tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock, a group will be leaving for Eagle Eyrie for the 55 Alive Retreat. On Tuesday, it's a normal schedule. On Wednesday, we will have the midweek Bible study at 11 a.m., and Dwight will be leading that. And I will be back in time to lead the midweek Bible study on Wednesday evening. We also will have our connect groups in Awana and Youth on Wednesday, followed by adult choir at 7.30. And then our uh, monthly fellowship breakfast will be held at 7.30 at Cold Harbor on the 25th. Volleyball and dodgeball to follow that night at 7. And then on Saturday, there's a choir rehearsal at 10 o'clock, and that's here, right? 10 o'clock choir rehearsal uh, here uh, on uh, Saturday. Um, that's all announcements I have, but Sandra wants to come and read a letter to us that came to her from uh, our Christmas in August recipient in New York City, and uh, she wants to come and read that to us So as a follow-up. So she's coming uh, to do that. Good morning. Um, I was really excited and overwhelmed as I told the... Um, the crosswalk service members this morning. And uh, one thing that I forgot to mention before I read this letter from the Christmas in August missionary, um, every year um, when I get my materials in June about the missionaries who are listed and whom you know, we, our church could help, um, I call it a God thing because, um, I mean, that God, you know, he um, shows me, you know, which group to pick based, based on what what they're collecting because sometimes some of the missionaries uh, want uh, need things that are big like printing things and things that would be hard to mail. But this year we had um, all school supplies and um, and the missionaries every year, every August or September, they we send a postcard in there so they can mark off that they got the boxes that we sent and uh, a lot of the missionaries you know do more than that. They send the letter. But I just wanted to share this letter with you because um, um, it was just so emotional. I mean, so overwhelming. Um, it says, it all began on October the 4th, 2017, when I received an email from Terry on behalf of WMU. Without thinking much about it, I filled out the form and sent it back. It was all forgotten until this August when all of a sudden we started receiving packages, packages after packages. I don't remember receiving this many gifts during Christmas or birthday in August, was not even anywhere close to Christmas. We are still receiving from the, recovering from the shock, the amount of help that we received. As I mentioned, this was forgotten from our side, so when over 40 boxes arrived in small apartment, my small apartment here in New York City, we just couldn't find the place but to organize the event. 
Beginning of September, right before the school year started, we partnered with the Indonesian church in our community and distributed all we had. Some churches sent us the gift cards, so we were able to add more items to the list. Um, we were able to distribute supplies to over 200 kids in our community. They were Nepalese, Hispanics, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslim, and Muslims, and they all made it to the church building in order to receive their supplies. For many, it was their first time ever stepping inside the church building. All we asked in return was a smile. On the other hand, boxes didn't start coming. As of today, we still have around 15 small boxes of supplies left. We would like to do this again next year, so we are looking for a place to store them. Um, we are raising some funds among ourselves to send some of these boxes to Nepal during Christmas season. We are connected with some local missionaries who are working among poor families back in Nepal. So that just shows you what your school supplies, how generous you were, how they're even going um, all over the world. <clears throat> um, I would personally like to thank all the kids who uh, wrote a special note, drew pictures, and made cards for us. Thank you. We are able to do so much more because of your love and support. Some of you personally wrote beautiful words of encouragement. This was uh, the women on mission also uh, made car sent cards and um, words of encouragement. Um, you quoted scriptures and encouraged us. Thank you too. I am saving all the notes and I will use each one of them as an ornament for our tree this year. We would love to keep in touch with you and share what God is doing here in New York City. Also, we would like to encourage you to pray and plan to come to New York City. Um, and when Connie Harbert and I were mailing, I wanted to let you know, when we were mailing these boxes last month, and I've mentioned this to many of you over the years, um, I would just love to be there you know, when they receive this, these boxes, um, but now we are being invited there. We live in such a diverse neighborhood that has a whole world around us. You wouldn't need a passport, but the world is right here. I will be happy to share with you what God is doing here and would like to encourage you to pray, plan, and prepare to bring your youth mission team or even adult team to share his love here in New York City. God has given us the whole world right here where we live. Free, feel free to call, email, or even text me if you have any questions. We are praying for all, for you all, and we do not have words to thank you enough for making a difference in our community. May God bless you and continue to use you for ex extension of his kingdom. Uh, and uh, his name is Rajan, you remember Shahi, and he's with the Vines Nepali Church. So um, we have been invited and asked to play, pray and plan um, to go to New York, maybe next year or in the following year, um, if anybody, um, would like to do that, you can count me in. But anyway, this was another card, um, the other card that they sent. Um, Dear Mechanicsville Church family, thank you for your love and support. You are such a blessing. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, before we have our call to worship time, just in case you have not heard, the um, music minister search team has a candidate that we would like to bring forward to the church, and uh, we will be doing that 
on November 6th, 7th, and 11th. And we'll have more details coming out to you later. Um, his name is Paul Rozeski. He is the uh, Atlee band director, and um, we enjoyed meeting him, and I think that you'll really enjoy having him here. So I just wanted to put that out there. Just keep watching Touchstone, and we'll keep announcing what we're going to be doing on those dates. So this is your time to greet each other and welcome each other. Please do that, but I'll also ask that you have your hymnals ready. Page 491, we'll be doing just the chorus, which is on page 492 of Shine, Jesus, Shine. So have your hymnals ready. Let's stand and greet each other. We're getting ready to sing praises to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go here. Ready? Shine, Jesus, shine. Shall we pray? Father, we pray that as we gather and sing words of shining for Jesus, that we will do just that. We pray that you will accept our praise and our adoration, that you will draw near to us in this time together as we listen for a word from you and as we call upon your presence with us. For you have shown us, Father, your great love, and your grace for us through Jesus Christ. As we gather, Father, keep us mindful of this grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, I ask that you get your hymnal out, and we're going to turn to page 346. We're singing the church's one foundation. If you take a look at that verse on that page, it says no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 3.11. Please stand as we sing together 346.
keep your hymnal in hand and turn to page 242 for our responsive reading and follow as directed by the reading. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. For to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is God's power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we continue to sing and worship together this morning. The next couple of songs we're going to sing, you'll kind of have to bookmark it with your finger. The first one is going to be the song Seek Ye First on page uh, 524. And then from there, we are going to go to page 330, which is Spirit of the Living God. We will sing Spirit of the Living God two times. So once again, that's 524, Seek Ye First. We'll sing both verses, and then you want to flip over to 3.30, and we'll do see, um, Spirit of the Living God, and we'll sing that two times. Please stand.
remain standing for our offertory prayer. Good morning, everyone. Please join me in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything in this world that you give us. You give us hope and praise, and we give you everything that we can in our tithes and offerings to be able to keep things in this world in the way that you want them to be. That's understanding that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins, and for the world that does not believe, shall we go out and find the people to be able to tell them. In Christ's name, amen.
want to let you know, some of you know Mark and Amy Basu. Uh, Mark's mother passed away, and the visitation is today from 2 until 4 at Bennett uh, Funeral Home here in Mechanicsville. So uh, just wanted to make you aware of that. It was in the paper yesterday, and, uh, uh, or the day before, and I was made aware of it on Thursday. Uh, so just wanted you to know, some of you know Mark and Amy. Amy used to sing some in the first service, and um, if you wanted to stop by the funeral home, I know that they would appreciate it, but I didn't want you, sometimes those kind of things fall through the cracks when they happen on a Thursday and we don't get to talk about them. So I uh, wanted to make you aware of that. Let's bow for prayer. Eternal God, we are grateful for the power of your grace to redeem us and for the hope that rests in knowing you. We're thankful, Father, that as we gather here, we do so with the full assurance that you are here and that your abiding presence can provide for us comfort and assurance and sometimes, Father, even admonishment as we seek to open your word and to learn from it. We're thankful, Father, for each one here. We're thankful for one another, for the spirit of unity that we can share in Christ, for the hope that rests in knowing that as we gather in this place, we do so as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We're grateful, Father, that we can lift up those who are ill, those who are recuperating from illness and surgery, and recognize, Father, that you are at work in their lives, bringing healing and assurance and hope. For those, Father, who have lost loved ones, how difficult it is, Father, to lose those we love, and how hard it is to fill the void, and the void really is never filled. And yet, Father, we know that you can provide comfort through the presence of your Spirit, you can provide assurance for now and in the future. For we are gracious. You are gracious to us as we seek to come to terms with those who have gone before us. We're thankful, Father, for our missionaries. We are grateful, Father, for the missionaries in New York who received the gifts to be shared with others. We're thankful, Father, that we had a part in that mission. We're thankful, Father, that the church is more than just a local body of believers. It is the church universal. And as we work together to share the gospel, indeed, a difference can be made in people's lives. We pray, Father, that as we continue through this service, as we open your word, that you will open our minds and our hearts to a greater understanding of you. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.
there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face, and I know they feel the presence of the Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 19. Under the heading, I think you'll understand in just a few minutes, how do you scribe an elephant? Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge. 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, and lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Once upon a time, a certain king called on three blind men to describe an elephant. The first who was touching a leg said, An elephant is much like a tree trunk. The second blind man who was holding on to the tail said, An elephant is like a snake. It is much smaller around than a tree and does not come to the ground. The third man reached for the elephant and felt its trunk. He said, You are both wrong. The elephant is like a giant vacuum cleaner. Descriptions of the church are much like this story of the three blind men and the elephant. Each person who comes into contact with the church has a different impression of what the church is like. And so was the case in Corinth. And so Paul wrote this letter to admonish them, to encourage them, to show them the importance of understanding what the church really is. Everyone has a concept of what they think the church is. The Corinthians are no different than we are today. They too had the same issues that we face in the church. So let's look at the church for a few minutes this morning. The church is a geographical location. But this is the least appropriate answer to our question. The church is a geographical location. Paul wrote his longest and most practical letter to the church in Corinth, one of the four most important cities of the day, a sunbelt city of the time. Corinth was a narrow isthmus linking northern and southern Greece and had the strategic value of Panama and its canal today. This was the city of Corinth. But a church is far more than a geographical location. Its geography is only incidental. We live in a time when many denominations include some geographical reference in their official name. For instance, the Southern Baptists, the Church of England. We do well to see the potential danger of allowing geographical boundaries to circumscribe theological and missionary vision. A church is more than geography. The church, the second thing 
we can use to define the church is the church is a building. In common parlance, we refer to the church as a building. Biblically speaking, a church is far more than an edifice of mortar, stone, carpet, and pews. It was for the Corinthians. For the Corinthians had no official church building. Instead, the congregation gathered in private homes, hearing messages from Paul, read possibly by the pale light of an oil lamp. A church is more than a building. If you empty this church out, it changes the dynamic of what this place is. We come to the church and fill the church with the Spirit of God in our lives. And that changes what the church really is. The church is far more than a building. We see how Paul defines the church here in these verses of Scripture in verse 2. The church is of God. If the church is neither a building nor a geographical location, then just what is the church? Verse 2 explicitly states that the church is of God. In addition, Paul mentions some form of the name of Jesus no fewer than ten times in the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. The church is indeed of God. It centers on Christ. Paul uses the Greek word ecclesia, church, 22 times in 1 Corinthians and nine additional times in 2 Corinthians. Paul speaks of the church more in his Corinthian correspondence than he does in all of his other letters combined. In this writing, or in these writings, Paul stresses that the church is of God. It's important for us to remember that because sometimes we think the church is of us. And whenever we decide that the church is about us, then the church ceases to be the church and it becomes about us. A New Testament church is not autonomous. It is theonomous. The church does not rule itself, God rules it. The New Testament church is not a democracy, it is a theocracy or a Christocracy. The church is of God. We must always default to that understanding of what the church is. We get in trouble when we decide to manipulate the church for our own gain. This truth applies in many directions. For one thing, it helps us remember that the church belongs to God, not God to the church. Sometimes we forget this and assume that God is the church's mascot. Paul reminds us the church is of God. Second in the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul strictly or surely means us to see something else in this description of the church. Paul wrote this letter largely to address the problems of factions besetting the church. Evidently, many were rallying around any of one of several prominent personalities as Paul speaks of in verse 12. Apollos, Peter, Paul, and Christ, and fragmenting the unity of the congregation. So with the very first stroke of his pen, Paul declares that the church is of God. And this precludes the possibility that it is of Apollos or of Peter or of a denomination or of the parachurch. The church is of God. And we can never be effective for Christ until we establish in our hearts and in our minds that this church or any church belongs to God. 
We are but mere caretakers. There were people who were here before us who made the church of God. That's why we're here today. And then we see that Paul would say to us that the church is both local and universal. Paul declares that the church is both local and universal. Devout believers across the years have argued for first one and then the other part of this definition. Some say the church should remain local. Others say it should be universal. The truth is the church is both. Paul addresses his letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then in the same sentence writes, with all of those who call upon the name of the Lord in every place. So the church is local. But it's also universal. And it should have a universal mindset. And the letter that Sandra read to us earlier gives us a glimpse of what that universal mindset is. What we gave here for Christmas in August went to New York to help people there. But it originated here, didn't it? But it's all part of the church. The church universal. In a few weeks... The Davises will be here and Ronnie Davis will be our speaker the first Sunday in December. Ronnie and Gail are missionaries to South Africa. Most of you know that. We have a part in their work in South Africa because we give here. And we have allowed the Davises to stay in our Alpha House on numerous occasions. And they come because they are part of the church universal. Our connection with them is through Christ, isn't it? And that's the only thing. They are our friends. Some of them feel like family because they've been here so much, but they still are of Christ. We are connected through Christ. So the church is universal. Paul declares that the church is both local and universal. Paul may have chosen his words to correct some proud Corinthians who saw themselves as the center of the Christian universe. And that would be easy for them to do because I've already said they were in a commercial center for the world. It was a place where lots of commerce came and went. So where there were lots of people who came through Corinth at various times, it would be easy for them to think that they were the center of the universe of the church. But Paul's words remind us as well, the local church is but one fragment of God's entire church. We belong to a local church is but one fragment of the entire church. We belong to a local church meeting in a given neighborhood and to a worldwide movement as well. You know how this works. A bank may have several branch offices and each separate branch is the bank and then again it is not. It takes all of the branches together to comprise the bank. So it is with the church. Paul was writing to the Corinthian branch or manifestation of the church of God. I know how that works because I have accounts at Wells Fargo. That's not who I originated with, but as banks merge and change and all that. So my bank actually is a West Coast bank. So if I put a check in here at 2 in the afternoon, it's 3 hours earlier there. If I put a check in at 5 in the afternoon, it's 3 hours earlier there. So my money is always credited for the next day. But it's because this branch on the East Coast that I go to, there's three in Mechanicsville, is connected to the bank on the West Coast. We are connected together 
as the church of Jesus Christ. And we can do more together than we could ever do separately. That's why we give to missions. That's why we give cooperatively to missions. So that we can help people around the world to see the value of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The church is holy. Paul says we are sanctified in Christ and we are called saints. Verse 2. In the Bible, calling is not restricted to a few of the spiritually elite or to people who have specifically been called out to minister. Calling is prerequisite for Christian living. We are all called in Christ. Every Christian has responded to God's call in Christ. When we respond so, God sanctifies us. He sets us apart to do His work. The church at Corinth is described as those who are called to be saints. Persons set apart by the call of God for service to God as they call themselves in obedience to God in Christ. Paul is called an apostle and the Corinthians are called saints. The word called is an adjective in this case. Paul reminds the Corinthians that they are bound in the unity of faith with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not alone in the world, but bound to the faithful throughout the world. We are all called to be saints. But it seems preposterous to us that of all people, Paul called the Corinthians saints or holy ones. You see, they are not saints or holy ones on their own. They are called by Christ. He says to the, to this to a congregation riddled with factionalism, lawsuits within its membership, problems of sexual morality and incest, drunken observances of the Lord's Supper, and raucous commotion and uncontrolled speaking in tongues in its worship. Paul calls this church with all of those issues holy and its members saints. Given modern day definitions of sainthood, this seems impossible. Then we remember that sainthood is not some future distinction, but rather a present condition of those called out, namely a response to God's call to be set apart for His service. We are sanctified, set apart to serve God. And then the church is an expectant community. The church is an expectant community in that it awaits what God will do in the future. The Corinthians' faith evidently centered on the ecstasy of the present moment. What was going on right now? We have it all now, some evidently said. In verse 7, Paul said that the present does not exhaust the riches of our faith and that we await the revealing of our Lord. Then in the following two verses, Paul affirms that God is faithful to preserve until the end whom He calls. The community of Christ is a waiting community. Christ is both He who has come and He who is to come. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ is another way of expressing the second advent, the second coming of our Lord. It's important for us to pause here. To understand what he's saying. That we are an expectant community. What will Christ do in the future? We have largely lost this description of the church. We typically do not conceive of the church as the people of God oriented toward the future. We more usually tie the church to the old time religion. And and the reputed glories of a distant past. 
Paul contends that in reality we are awaiting the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are looking expectantly to God's great future. The good news of Christ is more current than computer software and space shuttles. The church is the people of God living in anticipation of what God is going to do. It's important that we remember that. And we can be a part of that future as we live that future in faith. This past Thursday, we went as a group to Carter's Mountain Orchard in, um, near Charlottesville. And it's a, if you've ever been there, I've never been. And I was driving the bus. And if you've ever been up that road, it's quite steep and curvy. And uh, I realized on the bus that I better punch it pretty good to get it to go up the hill because I certainly didn't want to have to have the bunch that was with me out pushing. It just wouldn't have worked very well. We had to keep them moving. So I was watching very carefully as I went up uh, the road to make sure that I met every curve and I braked at the appropriate time and that uh, I took my time going up. And then all of a sudden, when we get to the top, there's this beautiful orchard and vineyards and mountain scenery on both sides of the, of the place that we were and just an absolutely beautiful place to be. And so I thought about that in relationship to what this is saying about an expectant community. You see, when we're uh, following the curves of life and breaking and going downhill and back uphill and doing all the things that we do in life, sometimes we forget what's in the future. What God has for us in the future because we're so caught up in the everyday curves and turns and uh, problems that we face in life. But then when we get to the top and we look out, we see this glorious view of what God is doing and can do and has done in our lives. It was quite revealing to understand that because we all do that. We're so caught up with our tunnel vision as to where we are and being careful with every step of the way that we fail to recognize that what we are moving toward is something far more glorious than we can even imagine. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the church in verse 7 when we read, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church is the community of grace. No definition of the church is complete without the affirmation that the church is the community of grace. In his greeting to the church, Paul wrote, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul pronounced God's grace on a church that had disgraced itself. We might rather have expected Paul to have read the riot act to the problem-ridden Corinthian church. Instead, Paul declared to them God's undeserved favor. He declared grace. He continued in the same vein in verse 5 where he affirms the church and what little progress it had made. He declared God's grace to these struggling Christians scarcely five years out of raw paganism. Paul asserts that giving thanks is the pattern of his life because of the grace of God which was given in Christ Jesus. 
His life was marked by thanksgiving because the life of the Corinthians is marked by grace. Isn't that beautiful to understand that Paul was thankful for what God had done for him through grace and he was not going to rob that from anyone else regardless of the circumstances. Give thanks, he said, for the grace of God. The church is the community of grace. Because God has given grace freely to us, we ought also to give freely to others. For all of our talk about salvation by grace, sometimes Christians show surprisingly little of it to one another. Grace is the theme of the entire Christian life, not just the conversion event. The Corinthians deserve chewing out. But Paul pronounced God's grace to them. We need to show grace to our fellow Christians like that. A fault-finding, petty attitude is foreign to the Spirit of Christ and should be foreign to His church. Are we doing what we do for the sake of the gospel in our church? Are our public meetings to the glory of God? Is our destiny to reflect God? If we cultivate a sub-Christian holiness that tolerates sin, we are deserving or we are deceiving people about what God is like. If we cultivate a sub-Christian unity that ignores real divisions and unites around smaller, secondary things, we are confusing people about what God is really like. If we cultivate a sub-Christian love that is nothing more than mere sentiment and family feeling, we deceive the world about what God is like. All of these things lie about God. They misrepresent His character. True holiness will include discipline. True unity will be built around Christ. And the diversity of the church will give witness to the fact that He is what unites us. True love will go deeper than sentiment. This is how God's glory will be displayed in the church, whether that church is in Corinth or Mechanicsville. We display God's glory by living a life of holiness and unity and love for Him. This is what the church is devoted to. But are we? We know that in any flesh and bones body, there are a variety of cells. There are nerve cells and blood cells and muscle cells and many others, each having a distinct function. The body operates smoothly, not because the cells get together and vote on what to do, but because each one does what it is designed to do. It is the function of the head to bring all of these different functions together so that the body operates effectively as each cell gives itself to the task of functioning according to its design. Certainly the body would not operate properly if its cells chose to go their own way. You know what happens? What we call a rebellion of the cells in your stomach? We call it indigestion. A revolt of your brain cells sometimes can be called insanity, can it? Anytime the cells in our body don't operate properly, it means that the body is sick, that something is wrong with it. Many of the problems in the church today are as a result of our forgetting that the church is a body with a head. Jesus Christ is the head. Instead, we sometimes try to operate the church as an organization. As a result, the church has no more power than any other human organization at work in the world. God has given the church many gifts. These are to be used for a purpose. 
through this holy, expectant community of grace, marching forward under the lordship of Christ, God calls us to mission. And Paul describes it for us best in verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God empowers His church as we submit ourselves to Him. The question is, are we willing to do so? Or are we describing the church as these three blind men did when they described one part of the elephant, neglecting the others, and seeing the whole as being more important than each of the parts? Shall we pray? Father, we rejoice in these words from Paul. For they show us very clearly that through him, through Christ, all things are possible in the church. Help us look to the future as we live in the present so that we might be sanctified as saints of Jesus Christ, working together to bring others to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our invitation hymn is number 534, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated. If the Lord is to use us, He will set us apart. And we are set apart to be saints, sanctified, used of Him. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ. You cannot be a part of the church unless you have received Christ. That is the prerequisite for being a part of the church. The problem with many churches is if people have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, then they're really not part of the church. And that's where problems can occur. Give your life to Christ. Whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 534.
Thank you for making this service a part of your day. Uh, I did get the heat working. I was working on the furnace prior to the service, trying to get it warm in here. Me working on the furnace is going and pushing the reset button and hoping something happens. So, and, and it did, but uh, anyway, uh, it did warm up in here, at least for me a little bit. I hope it did for you uh, as well. I will be going with the senior adults that are going to Eagle Irie tomorrow, so I'll be gone through Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I teach a class up there. Uh, on um, two times while we're there. Uh, I started taking the group up a few years ago and then Rod Miller asked me if I would teach and so I do because that it's kind of like uh, preaching for your supper and your bowl and your place to stay so that's what I do and uh, we have a good time and I like going up there. I was on a committee several years ago that did a lot of work at Eagle Irie and I'm always proud to go up there because I can say, well, I was part of that, and I was part of that. It's just fun to be able to go up there on the mountain. So pray for us while we go uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, Dwight will be in the office. He will be here tonight. Uh, he just uh, wanted to be off this morning to go somewhere with his family, so uh, we allowed him to do that uh, as well. Next Sunday, I've already worked on my sermon because I'm working on a short week, you know, and I always say, well, I'll work on my sermon legal Irie and that doesn't happen, you know, because, oh, let's do this, let's do that. So uh, I worked on my sermon. Next Sunday, uh, it's close to Sunday to Halloween, preaching a sermon on living in a haunted house. It's a good one, isn't it, for the week? But I'm going to give you the scripture. It's Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. Now, you look at that, and I think you'll figure out what I'm talking about, okay, if you want to, to be prepared for next week. Maybe you'll be more prepared than me uh, after being at Eagle Irie. But uh, that is the sermon uh, for next uh, Sunday. And then a week from Wednesday, we will have our trunk or treat. And I hope you'll come and participate in that uh, from 6 until 8 on Halloween evening as we... Uh, uh, give candy to the children in the community. It's a good, safe place for them to come to, and we want to uh, see how that works out this year uh, as we can be a witness in our community. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we leave today, we do so fully expecting you to work in our lives as we submit ourselves to you. We are grateful, Father, for the power of your grace to redeem us and to set us apart as saints in service for you. May we, Father, never take for granted our unity in the church as we seek to serve you now and in the future. Bless us, Father, as we depart, keeping us ever mindful of your grace, of your love, and of your mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen.